Hey, y'all. This is Bud Elliott, and welcome to another edition of the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. Uh, I'm your SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Director, along here with uh, SB Nation College Ball Writer, Morgan Moriarty. Morgan, what's what's going on? Doing well. Uh, I feel really out of the loop because I watched probably like five whole minutes of football over the weekend. I was out of town um, for a bachelorette weekend, but other than that, just trying to catch up, but doing well. There you go. Where, where'd, uh, where'd y'all have it? Uh, we went to Charleston. It was really fun. I had never been there before, so it was it was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I've been there. I think our fraternity had formal either there or Savannah one year. I'm not sure how sober I was. So, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, a lot of college ball to get to, a lot of college ball recruiting talk uh, to get to. We'll open up this week with uh, there's there's some big games going on, or at least big games in terms of recruiting. You got Florida State hosting Miami uh, for now. We're recording this on Wednesday uh, morning, so we'll have to see uh, what the hurricane or potential hurricane does there. Uh, you have Alabama going to Texas A&M. And you have uh, Michigan State traveling to Michigan, so three things to keep an eye on there. And uh, there's going to be some uh, some top prospects, starting with the Miami at Florida State game. You know, th- this was kind of the the marquee game on Florida State's home schedule uh, this year. The other two decent ones are NC State, which has already happened, and they lost that, uh, and Louisville. But the Miami one is, is probably your, your real marquee game, and that it got rescheduled. So Florida State really had to scramble in terms of recruiting. Um, to you know, open up and and get this thing rescheduled, and they've got a lot of big time out of state kids coming in. Yeah, I, I think this is big opportunity for Florida State. I mean, I don't think anyone expected them to be where they are now, um, but here they are, and and Miami looks looks pretty good right now. I mean, they've only they haven't played that many games because of the hurricanes and whatnot, um, but I, I think this is. And we'll talk about this a bit later, but I think this is a real interesting game. Um, but certainly couldn't ask for a better, you know, official visit FSU Miami in Dope Campbell. No, exactly right. The weather. Uh, I mean, if if the hurricane doesn't come or if it, if it jogs left or something, it should be all right. If, it, if it's not, then obviously you're going to have a, a pretty pretty poor weather day. <laughs> but uh, you know, Pat Sertan Jr., five star corner, NFL legacy. Obviously, everybody's pretty familiar uh, with him. Expecting him in, Kelvin Joseph, a four-star corner out of Louisiana who just decommitted uh, from LSU. I know we'll talk about LSU in a little bit. Uh, Terrace Marshall Jr., who is a uh, uh, one of the top receivers in the country, maybe my favorite receiver in the country. Uh, he's out of Louisiana, also expected in. Uh, maybe you're going to get Trey Hill, one of the best guards in the nation, down from Georgia. Uh, defensive back Houston Griffith from IMG Academy uh, could be up as well. He's kind of a... Uh, Florida State, Ohio State, Nebraska, Notre Dame uh, battle there. Uh, Jalen Waddle, uh, one of your better slots in the nation out of uh, Texas, who Alabama's on really hard as well. And then uh, I, I think there's a good chance to see Justin Field, the number one player in the country, the number one obviously uncommitted player in the nation as well. Uh, Fields has been to Georgia twice this month. He, I believe, already took his official visit to LSU, and last week, he or last weekend he was at the Bama beatdown of Ole Miss. Uh, Morgan, I, I know you didn't watch a lot of football last week. That uh, that game was pretty uh, pretty lopsided, sixty six to three, I think. So uh, Bama covered. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, that was uh, that was sad. Um, this is a big opportunity 
for Florida State, especially with a guy like Fields. You know, you need a, a big-time quarterback to run Jimbo Fisher's offense. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is similar to a lot of offenses, but I think in such a quarterback-dependent offense like, like Fisher's, he does really well with high-end quarterbacks, but if he doesn't have one, I think it struggles. And, you know, Georgia seems to be the team to beat here, but you also have some issues with Georgia, like potential playing time, and, and certainly how will they incorporate if they were to land uh, Justin Fields when you already have a situation, which I know we're going to discuss in a minute. Uh, with, with Jake Fromm and, and Jacob Easton on campus. So, yeah, I feel like there. it's in terms of Florida State and Georgia, kind of you have to put yourself in, in field shoes. Kind of interesting looking at both those teams, teams who have to go with, you know, the backup guy at the start of the season. But I mean, I think Jake Fromm's obviously done better than James Blackman at FSU. But I think that's just kind of like an interesting dynamic for him to consider you know yeah as of right now how they are he could probably come in and start but he still has you know these big time highly recruited guys that are coming back off of injury you know Eason um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later too Eason's supposed to be coming back at some point this year um, Francois is obviously out for the season but I think that's just kind of a, a an interesting dynamic for Fields to be looking at when he's considering these two schools. It really is, especially as a guy who I assume wants to be a three and done guy uh, to the league. You know, if is he going to have to sit for two years and then, mm-hmm. and then be, uh, you know, be a one year starter and then go? It's and there's a good possible. chance that he has to do that. Yeah, sit for two years at, at, at almost any school that has a true freshman starter, unless he just comes in there and beats him out, which is it's possible, but maybe not super probable. Uh, for for Sertan, I know he's looking at uh, Clemson, LSU, Alabama, uh, Kelvin Joseph. Still looking at LSU, I, I don't necessarily think that he's going to go anywhere else. He, I think he he may recommit to LSU with Marshall. I know he was looking hard at uh, LSU and TCU. Um, I believe he injured his lower leg from what I saw his mom tweeting, so uh, hopefully he's doing well from that. Uh, Trey Hill is uh, primarily, I, I, in my opinion, a, a Georgia, Florida State, maybe a little bit of a Clemson battle there. Um, I already mentioned where Griffin's looking at, Waddle as well. Uh, Michigan State and Michigan are playing this weekend. And uh, Michigan has got, got one notable visitor coming in I saw on Twitter. Uh, looks like Amon Ross St. Brown, the uh, little brother of Equinamius uh, St. Brown, the Notre Dame receiver, is uh, is, is going to be due into Michigan. That would be a huge get. He, he's one of the most dynamic players in the whole country out, out of California. Yeah, it's funny because given the week that this is, it's kind of – you know, there's not a lot of marquee games, but this Michigan State-Michigan game is, its I believe it's the primetime game on Saturday night um, on ESPN or might, maybe even ABC. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, I think that game is not as big as it's kind of hyped up to be. Um, but I mean, it's certainly a rivalry game and, and crazier things have happened a couple years ago um, with that blocked punt. Um, so I've I, wouldn't count that game out from being weird. <laughs> exactly. And Michigan State looks to be a little bit improved this year. I, I kind of wrote them off. And that's kind of, yeah, no, me too. And I, I'm kind of surprised because after last season, you know, this year was supposed to be their true rebuilding year. Um, and then they've, they look a lot better than they did a year ago. So. Although I, I guess, I mean, Notre Dame did, did kind of pace them a little bit, uh, but We'll see. Michigan's offense has looked uh, looked rather poor. Wilton Spate now is going to miss, I think, a month. Jim Harbaugh announced uh, yesterday, the day before, 
didn't specify what the injury was. So John O'Corn, former uh, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, QB, I believe, is now the uh, starter for Michigan. But uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, you know, like Stanford, USC, I think Notre Dame as well. Uh, that, but for Michigan to throw their hat in the ring there, we'll see what they can do. And then yeah, Alabama. Game. I'm sorry. Uh, should be a good game. Absolutely. And then uh, Alabama at Texas A&M. You know, A&M is kind of in this weird spot, Morgan, and I we, we may need to take Kevin Sumlin off the hot seat talk because the, I think the chance that he could go maybe 9-3 and three is is increased. But, like, if you're a coach on the hot seat, you still have to keep recruiting. And there's a whole lot of uncertainty around that program where there's not a lot of uncertainty around the Texas program right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do have uh, Jeremiah Martin – a really talented defensive line, and then also Vernon Jackson, who's a, I believe, as of right now, committed to Alabama, uh, supposed to be coming in. So two big names there on the defensive line. A and M certainly needs a good defensive line play, and uh, you know maybe look. I don't think anybody expects Texas A and M to beat Alabama with a true freshman quarterback and Kellen Mond, but maybe if they can avoid what has happened in back-to-back weeks to Vanderbilt and Ole Miss, uh, maybe there's something there. Yeah, and last year, um, you know, Texas A&M led at halftime, or at least they had a, a lead at some point in the first half, and then Alabama just came out and took things over. But, um, I, I mean, I think a lot of people are, at this point, especially after what Alabama's done the last two weeks, kind of expecting the tide to just roll over everyone. But wouldn't be surprised if, if this game's close, you know, it, at least definitely in the first half and, and maybe part of the third quarter. Uh, yeah, I mean that would be. I, I think they have. I think they have better personnel, um, you know, than like than, than Vanderbilt or Old Miss do. You know, I, I obviously right. the quarterback thing's an issue. I, I think there's a, uh, um, you know, well, there's kind of a, a, a competition issue faced so far. I would probably take Patterson over Mond at this point, uh, but still, I think overall the personnel is better. Yeah, we'll see. I think we're all waiting to see like Alabama be truly challenged by someone, and we haven't seen that yet. Um, so that might be just us wanting to see a good game um, against Alabama. But, um, yeah, I think that's fair with the personnel. You wrote this week about the little – can we call it a spat? Or are they just kind of like, you know, taking little, little pot shots at each other or, or what? Um, for LSU Florida. Oh no! I was talking about um, about Kirby and Derek Mason. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so that was kind of weird, and but also funny at the same time. So this week, Kirby Smart was asked um, whether or not Jake Fromm was going to be the starter moving forward, basically asking if Jake Fromm was still the guy this week. Um, and Smart said, "You know, we don't have to announce a starter. We'll decide who looks good in practice." Um, but apparently Jacob Eason isn't even a hundred percent Kirby smart said this week that he's close to a hundred percent. And, um, when Derek Mason was asked about this, um, he pretty much just said, well, you know, I'm not, he's not fooling me by saying, by not naming a starter. We, we know Jake Fromm is, is probably going to be the guy. He just came off of a 41 victory over Tennessee. Um, he's looked really, really good in recent weeks. And I think that, you know, I'm kind of on, Derek Mason's side of this because why wouldn't Kirby Smart just say Jake Fromm's the guy? Well, I, I think I agree with you there as far as huh, well. Well, I guess I agree with Mason in that you know 
he's not fooling me either by saying we don't have to announce a starter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like Derek Mason knows that Jake Fromm is going to be the starter. You don't take the kid who, and I say kid because he's an 18-year-old freshman. <laughs> you don't take the guy that just you know led you to a 41 nothing win at mm-hmm. at Tennessee and put in and put in the backup. And I know the backup is a really talented guy, but look, I, I, we were hearing about this from our Georgia people actually over the summer that hey, you know, from like leadership wise, big advantage over Eason, like ability wise. Big advantage. Like, the mm-hmm. guys on that team like him better. We go back to the Army game, and those folks at the Army game were talking about how they had never had a quarterback come in so prepared, right? Yeah, and, like- and um, our, our buddy Michael Felder of Bleacher Report brought this up on Twitter this week. Um, kind of different, those two guys, in terms of Eason kind of being this, like, savior-type prospect quarterback for that recruiting class. Whereas Jake Fromm was just, you know, really well prepared and and just an overall solid guy. I think that's just kind of, that was just kind of a different dynamic for both those guys coming in, in terms of how they were perceived as recruits. Absolutely. Yeah. Fromm was perceived as, as not as talented uh, as, as Eason physically, which is accurate. Uh, But he certainly has a whole lot of intangible, seems to understand the offense uh, pretty well. And, you know, with Georgia, Georgia personnel, they want to run the ball and they, they want to play great defense, and he seems to complement that pretty well. He doesn't throw a whole lot of balls that could or, or should be picked off necessarily. Right, and and with Nick Chubb, I mean, he doesn't have to air it out a ton during the game. So as long as you're getting that production, I would just keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, I I don't think Easton's going to get this job back, and I think a lot of it has to do with, with what it would do to that locker room. You know, I could see I could see maybe – if anything, not Eason getting the job back, but Smart trying to play both. Maybe like the Florida game coming up, if if they want to throw some some tricks at Florida's defense, I, I could see only Eason being like you know a Eason and Fromm just kind of being like a double threat type thing, but Fromm still being the guy. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, but you know, man, I if you're if you're if you're Kirby Smart, are you worried about Jacob Eason transferring like during the season? Not or, during like, the just season, leaving? no. But maybe down the road, certainly after next year, depending on what happens. We we have seen guys leave during the season though. Like like I think was it Blake Barnett last year? Uh like after it was pretty clear he wasn't going to win the Bama job, he, tra- he he left and ended up at Arizona State. Uh, the, the, we do see this in preseason camp sometimes when when coaches wait to announce a starter until Right. Uh, you know, until guys have attended classes, the old uh, Lane Kiffin, Tennessee rule, uh, if you will. But I, yeah, I don't know how long, uh, how long Jacob Easton is going to be at Georgia if, if Fromm keeps keeps the starting job. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I the only really thing that the only thing that's a little different, I think, and I'm looking at this from Easton's perspective, was he beat Fromm out before the season started um, and got hurt, and now Fromm's doing you know well. So I think. If I'm at Jacob Eason, let's say he doesn't come back this season, um, or he does and he sits out, he might be thinking, "Well, I can just beat this guy out in fall camp. I did it last year." Right. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And if you're Kirby Smart, you'd love to have Jacob Eason believe that because then he doesn't transfer. Right. And you get to keep your very talented QB and yeah. uh, and not have him, you know, and not not hurt your QB depth. But I, maybe I'm just being optimistic there. But I could see that happening. Oh, it definitely could. I mean, look, hey. And this is football. 
guys get hurt right. too. You know, yeah. maybe Eason matures some and, uh, you know, is becomes a better leader and whatnot. But I, 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 how much do you think Fields being a Georgia boy and, you know, he was like a Little League World Series hero for the state of Georgia as well. Uh, how much do you think that helps him here? I think it's huge. Um, and, and that's another interesting dynamic from Eason. Let's say Fields commits to Georgia, then I would definitely put my money down on Eason transferring somewhere else. Just because that's, I mean, that's already a really crowded, talented depth chart. It, if I could bet on, uh, on, on Eason transferring, I would do it heavily. I, I really don't think that he's the type to stick around. He's not from Georgia. He's from you know, Washington State. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't think that he's going to be there next year, personally. But it, it could happen, I guess. Yeah, uh, and we, and we saw how well Kirby Smart recruited the state of Georgia this past year with that recruiting class. So, I mean, that that helps landing Fields definitely. Oh, a bunch. And look, Fields is a, is a dynamic prospect. I think if, whoever gets him is going to see a big bump up in recruiting, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Florida State. I don't really think it's going to be. LSU or uh, or Alabama, um, you know, with well, with, with Alabama, they, they they have Tua, they they have Jalen Hurts. Obviously, they kind of have the same situation, but they, you know, that, that that's almost more stacked in some ways than Georgia is because Georgia, if you anticipate the likelihood of, of a, an Eastern transfer, uh, then you're only really battling one guy in from at at Alabama. Yeah, that's a good point. Your Alabama, the, the younger kid is sitting. In, in Tua, I mean, he's playing some because and he's, he's already like made the highlight reel. So yeah, exactly. Um, so LSU, Florida, got a lot of stuff to think about with with, with this. I know, I know you're writing something this week about the uh, the rivalry. So tell us about that. Yeah, um, really, just kind of highlighting. I know that this past season um, with the Hurricane Matthew stuff, and it's really ironic that there's another hurricane possibly hitting Florida the week of LSU Florida week. Um, but just kind of highlighting all the moments and, and going back to 2006, the last time Florida hosted LSU as the homecoming opponent, um, just really there were so many different moments throughout the years that made this rivalry so big. And the thing that you know was the tipping point was all the stuff last season. Um, but really just kind of pointing out how this rivalry has been brewing and, and getting bigger throughout the years. Um, the less miles years with two fake field goals, one in 2015, one in 2010 that were just unbelievable and ridiculous. Um, the 2007 game when the LSU fans got Tim Tebow's cell phone number um, and, and was calling him and harassing him all week. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's just cool from, you know, a Florida perspective, me being a Florida grad, just to see this rivalry get bigger each and every year. Um, so definitely look forward to putting that out later this week. I, I think that's going to be awesome. You know, when I think about this LSU Florida rivalry, Morgan, I look at it and I say, okay, it, it you know they've played it for a while. There, what, what is it? Sixty-two meetings. That that's that's pretty decent. They've played mm-hmm. every year since um, what since since the SEC went went to divisional play. Um, you know, in my lifetime, like growing up as a kid, I never really thought about this game at all because Florida used to just, just ragdoll LSU. Right. I mean, it was 19-6, and then, you know, 34 8 16-0, 20-21, 58-3, 42-18, 28-10, 56-13. You know, LSU won in 97, kind of crazily. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was back to Florida, went in by double digits, really all the way until 2002. And there's no regional component of this rivalry, right? Like, or no, like, close in proximity. You're not going to work if you're a Florida grad and seeing a lot of LSU people at the water cooler. Yeah, definitely vice versa. Not. But so much has happened in, like, I, I don't know, what, what do we want to say here, a, like a 12 or 13-year span? Yeah, so my story starts in 06, so 11, but I mean, you can make the argument for 12, 13, even 14 years. And really, when looking at these games, the other thing that's so interesting to me is they're not really like blowouts anymore. The only blowout I can remember is the 2007 game, Florida wins Baton Rouge, it was Will Muschamp's first year, and I think Jeff Driscoll left the game and got hurt, so... um, Is that the one where the punter got flagged? Yes. Okay. That that's like the only blowout the last like twelve years in this rivalry. I mean, that's like really hard to do. Look at what Alabama and Ole Miss just did on Saturday. So I, I really I mean, it's just I'm excited for Saturday. It's gonna be a really cool atmosphere. Hopefully they can play it if this hurricane holds off or, or goes a different way, but um we'll just have to see. Yeah, it, you know, like looking back, even oh four and oh five were a three-point win and a four-point win for, for LSU, you know, setting right. up that that 2006 game. Um, they they have – you've really packed, like, probably, I don't know, 30 years of stuff that would happen in a normal rivalry into that that very short span, which I think has really heated this thing up. And then last year they had the hurricane spat, which was <laughs> largely caused by the bungling of it by the SEC, you know, office. And a lot of right. people will tell you if uh, – who was the old SEC commissioner? Um Mike Slive. Yeah, a lot of people will tell you, hey, if Slive was still there, th- this nonsense wouldn't happen. Uh, but Yeah, and now in hindsight, um, the SEC said, okay, we're going to have the commissioner decide things like this moving forward. Um, but yeah, that the stuff from last year, I think when you talk to LSU and Florida fans, it's you're on one side of the fence or the other. Florida was saying this was a safety issue. We couldn't organize a road trip to Baton Rouge on like a Tuesday or Wednesday, even if we wanted to. Um, and, and LSU, on the LSU side of it, it's obviously Florida didn't want to go to ba- LSU. They were hell-bent on keeping it in Gainesville. Um, so it's just either side you talk to, they're going to have one point of view or the other. There's no like in-between. Yeah, and I think both sides there had some legitimate points and some stuff got blown out of proportion and you know, then you throw like rivalry aspects into it and it, it right. kind of got kind of, kind of snippy. Um, I looked this week at LSU a little bit cause I, I you know, I, I, my wife's an LSU grad and so I, I end up watching a lot more LSU than I normally probably would. And uh, Troy pushed them around. I know you're on a, on a bachelorette party and it didn't see this. Uh, Troy physically kind of whipped them um, up front and that it was shocking to me to see a Sunbelt team go in and just physically push LSU around the Death Valley and, so I, I pulled up their recruiting classes over the last couple of years, and I was like, okay, where, what happened to these dudes? And I looked at it, and specifically the, the 14 and 15 classes, the guys who would be juniors or seniors right now. Um, and normally at LSU, you know, the, their best teams are kind of a mix of maybe a couple seniors, a lot of guys who are juniors who are going to go pro early, and then some, some quality underclassmen as well. But – LSU this year is a really weird mix of like fifth and sixth year seniors. So guys we can presume are probably not legit NFL talents because they, otherwise they would have been, they would have left. It's LSU. If you're, if you're good enough to go, you go. Right. And really young guys. And LSU signed 15 linemen. So 
OL or DL in the 2014-2015 classes, I think only six are left. Wow. Which is a really, really high attrition rate. Uh, over half of the guys who left were either dismissed or, like, suspended indefinitely and then decided to transfer. One guy's in jail on a six-year uh, bid for uh, some armed robbery. Um, and so, yeah, L- LSU up front on both sides of the ball right now and throwing a couple of injuries, too is not what they've been uh, personnel-wise. And I know this week they're going to be getting a couple guys back. So we'll, we'll see uh, what happens there. But that was pretty surprising to see them get bullied. I, Troy just stuck – they ran that running back 30, 30 times, I think, for a buck 91. Jeez. That, that just doesn't happen. Um, so that was kind of surprising to me. Uh, but you, know, you guys can go check that out if you want. They're doing a little bit better job of it in the two recent classes, but those guys are, again, uh, some some younger players. The uh, And then yesterday, I kind of got to look at something because I saw some chatter on Twitter about who in the heck is the SEC going to pick for these 330 games the rest of the year. <laughs> and, oh my gosh. Slim uh, pickings. This SEC schedule is not good. Like, okay, I think I think we can, we can buy that Auburn is a lot better than they looked at Clemson and nobody scores on Clemson. Right. And we know Bama's good and Georgia looks like they're pretty good, but those games aren't until like mid to late November. I think November 11th is Georgia at Auburn, and then Thanksgiving is uh, uh, Bama at, at, at Auburn. Uh, what are we going to watch until then in, in the SEC here in the Southeast? This is going to be brutal. Dumpster fires. It's Yeah, it's bad. And I feel like most of the blame is – and I say most of the blame, but the, the other side isn't that great either – is on the SEC East because – I mean, Florida doesn't look that great. You know, they look good. They they only have a couple losses, but um, Florida, it's it's basically Florida and Georgia, and then everyone else. And in the West, it's obviously Alabama and and literally everyone else behind them. Exactly, and and the East is really not living up to its side of the bargain. With or excuse me, the, the West, it, it you know, Ole Miss this year is just an abject disaster. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Arkansas usually plays plays TCU close, right? And then okay, all right, hey, they 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 showed they can hang with one of the better teams in the Big Twelve this year. No, just I mean, totally <laughs> shut down. Mississippi State like was promising, and then they lost by a combined score of eighty to thirteen against Georgia and Auburn. Um, so it's kind of hard to buy them. Like you know, you like to hype up the the Bama Mississippi State game if you could, right? Uh, but after after back to back weekends, I, I don't think you can really do that. And then by proxy of losing to Mississippi State as bad as they did, and seeing Mississippi State get stomped, LSU looks even worse. So we, we kind of lack a we lack a middle tier this year in the SEC of teams that like not that you think okay can win the conference, but at least all right in a given game, any given Saturday could rise up and beat one of the true conference contenders. You just you don't have many of them this year. Yeah, it's. It's not good. And I feel like this was really kind of unexpected heading into the season. Tennessee wasn't expected to be this bad. Um, Florida was supposed to be, I mean, I'd I'd say Florida's about right where they expected them to be. Um, But in the West, I mean, down here, all across the board. Yeah, I know Bill Connolly wrote about this this week as well. I I didn't link this yet, but I'll add it to our – our final thing, but he talked about just, you know, how many of these schools are kind of below expectation 
and it's it's quite a few that and it was hard to see it coming you know maybe A&M is playing about like we thought they would but LSU's far below Mississippi State is mm-hmm. uh, maybe right where they thought but again they got there but via you know being very high and then very low uh, South Carolina it, it, uh, you know, <laughs> Vanderbilt Vanderbilt lost 59 to nothing to Alabama Missouri is you know, we in Slack. I don't know, did you see this in Slack the other day? I asked Bill Connolly, "Hey, Bill, is Missouri the worst Power Five team?" And he goes, uh, "Does Kansas still exist?" I said, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> and Rutgers. not that bad, Missouri. <laughs> but Missouri might be the worst SEC team in a number of years. I think. That's fair. I mean, you get blown out at home, like blown out at home by Purdue, and then Kentucky. A can't have enough cornerbacks on the field twice. Against Florida, which would seem, you know, disadvantageous, and then they only beat Southern Miss, Eastern uh, Michigan, and uh, uh, an FCS school by an average of a touchdown each. Yeah, it's kind of funny that the way that I guess it's because it's Kentucky football, um, but just Mark Stoops and the hot seat factor, we don't really talk about that much anymore, and I feel like that's just a product of Kentucky football being historically not good. And they should have beaten Florida. So, Yeah. You know, I think if Kentucky football, like you can't fire Mark Stoops if he makes a bowl, right? Right. It's just unrealistic if you're Kentucky fans to expect more than going to a bowl. I I think, I mean, honestly, you just, you don't have the resources and you don't have the the, the talent base. If, If Mark Stoops takes you to a bowl, Give that man an extension. That's actually not that easy to do mm-hmm. uh, at, at Kentucky. Um, and so the school that we have not talked about yet in this conversation is Rocky Top. Oh, Butch Jones. Butch Jones. They, they bring back Peyton Manning. They trot him out there in the pregame, waving to the crowd. It's going to be a good day. And <laughs> they lose 41 <laughs> I don't think it can get any worse than that. They have to go to Tuscaloosa in two weeks. Oh, God. <laughs> they should just forfeit. I'm not even kidding. It's going to be so bad. I've really tried to defend Bush Jones, and I'm going to stand by the idea that he has done a good job of rebuilding the program. But I'm not convinced that he's the guy to take them from, like, okay, relatively upgraded roster to actual consistent winning good team. You know, the rebuilding something recruiting wise is different than actually taking that talent right. and coaching it up and producing a product on the field. And I think he does the first very well in five years. I'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence that he uh, that he's going to do the second. So I think he is our number one in our weekly uh, coaches hot seat check in list. Unless you got somebody else. No, for sure. I would be. Sh- I say I would be shocked, but. He does have, you know, kind of a pretty big buyout, and it would all depend on who's out there at the end of the season. But I, like, I would be really surprised if Tennessee didn't pull the trigger and just let him go after this year. And the thing is, like, Tennessee does not want to fire him. We know right. that. Like, everybody who's plugging in the yeah. says they don't want to. They don't make a change this year. The candidates out there aren't that great. His buyout's huge. Like, we've had five coaches in the last eleven mm-hmm. years or whatever it is. But Butch Jones is, man, you're making it really hard for Tennessee to, to make excuses and keep you. Like the, I want to see what Tennessee's like season ticket renewal rate is if Butch Jones is the, is the coach in 2018. Because it, 
he called the media fake news the other day, claiming that all their negativity is is causing uh, causing all, all these issues with recruiting and whatnot. Did you see the stunt he pulled yesterday? Uh, saying he was his own worst critic. That? No, I didn't see that. He said that. Yeah, he did say oh that. <laughs> Highly doubt that, Coach. This is. I mean, we got so many things going on with Bush Jones that that I, we can't keep up with it. But okay, so I'm not saying he he orchestrated this, but he certainly was pretty quick on the retweet button. Um, he had, someone had all the kids committed to Tennessee uh, tweet out uh, graphics of them with like some Tennessee stuff on them and it, that said uh, committed. You know, you're either oh, yeah, all I in did, or you're I not. I didn't see that. So uh, Butch got to retweeting those with a quickness, and <laughs> I got to tell you, that's probably what I would do too if I was in his spot. I'd be like, guys, guys, this is Tennessee, and, and I've I've got you all currently the number six recruiting class in the nation. Right. You know, that, yeah, that's, I mean that's it's actually like really smart. When oh, I yeah, I don't know if if you're if you're the AD if you want to fall for that or not, but um, you know yeah, and maybe, I think we talked about that a bit last week. Like, do athletic directors? We were talking about the Mike Riley Nebraska thing. Um, I don't know if if recruiting, especially you know not finalized recruiting classes, or something that is at the forefront at AD's minds when they make decisions on firing or, or keeping. Yeah, I think it could be if it's a recruiting class that's like way better than your school normally signs, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if it if it like includes some sort of generational quarterback type type guy. Then maybe you do it. Maybe you say, all right, well, if we keep him and we wait to fire him, we'll see how he does next year. And if he doesn't do well, then the new guy will have two years with a second and third year quarterback, maybe maybe a fourth year uh, who we think is really special, maybe in that situation. But I think ordinarily you should not let uh, a recruiting class affect your hiring and firing decisions because the kids can still flip anyway. Uh, right. If, and if, if you hire a new coach, down. that class is going to be transitional regardless. Right. Exactly. So I, yeah, I'm not, uh, man, I, I, I think they're going to have to fire him unless he turns it around. There's some chance he could beat, what Kentucky, South Carolina, Missouri. Um, he did beat Georgia Tech. They did manage to beat UMass. Although they looked pretty bad doing it. Can he get to eight wins? Like if if, the, if he loses Florida, Georgia, Alabama, you could beat LSU at home. LSU has not looked very good. I'm, I'm gonna look at their schedule now. Like, can, I wonder if eight and four saves Butch Jones. I I can definitely see seven. They get but, Vanderbilt at home. Um, you know, South Carolina. They're, they're, yeah, they're, I guess we'll give them South Carolina at Kentucky, maybe. Southern Miss. And then Vanderbilt. Yeah. It's not necessarily crazy to think that they could go, what? Uh, yeah, Bama's a loss for sure, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but. It's not necessarily like totally insane to think they could go South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, Southern Miss, LSU, Vandy, and go five and one. I think four and two is probably more likely there. And if that's the case, then you're then you're in seven five territory. But maybe that's the excuse to save some money. And and uh, speaking of money, Morgan, uh, I wrote to this morning about uh, coaching buyouts, which are uh, large, very large for some coaches like Brett Bielema, $15 million buyout or Butch Jones, I think is, is there with a nine number and Eddie Orgeron in <laughs> LSU 
for some reason, LSU folks are scared of him leaving. Uh, $12.5 million for Ed Orgeron uh, to be bought out. I, I got to tell you, these athletic directors are just – they're overmatched when, when they're up against these super agents. I mean, these super agents right. are typically good lawyers. They're experienced contract negotiators. ADs are, are not. And they get taken to the cleaners more often than not. I, I get that it's an industry standard. I get that the market sets the thing. But, man, I, there's no – if you're LSU, can, can you think of any school that would might hire Ed Orgeron away from you? No. Like, where does his stick play? LSU. He's a Cajun. He played right. like, from Louisiana. USC is <laughs> not going back to that well. No. UCLA doesn't want that. Uh, he's not going to the NFL. His buyout should be like a year's worth of salary, which is like three seven or three eight. That that's very reasonable and fine. I just don't know why. But then I got thinking about it, and I realized, look, these athletic directors. This is the most important hire they're ever going to make. So there's a couple things that leads to this. Number one, if the coach gets fired that they hired, guess what? The AD is probably going to get fired too. <laughs> yeah. So it's really not their problem. Uh, the problem there is that no, nobody from the university or from the boosters is being a, a good steward and saying, hey, uh, we need to take a look at this in case this doesn't work out. And that's the second problem is that everybody just drastically overestimates how yeah. likely it is that their coach is going to succeed. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of a product of just where we are in terms of hiring coaches, where winning is everything, and you just gamble on that aspect, that these guys can win football games for your program, but you don't really kind of look at the whole picture. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that that's what I'm – you know, who from above? Can it be the university president? Can there be somebody – like maybe from the boosters, like a designated guy, should they hire a, uh, or just like an outside lawyer or something? Right, exactly. You know, they they can make an honest assessment here and say, okay, why do we need to give you this guy this big of a buyout? Is he really going to say no? Like, would but let's say if, if Tennessee is at Butch Jones, your buyout from us is going to be one year of pay. That's still a pretty good thing. I mean, Butch is making like what four four and a quarter. So right. do you think Butch Jones would say, Tennessee, I'm going to wait here at Cincinnati for a better – no, there's only so many of these good jobs. He's going to say, okay, that's a little bit weird, but I'm totally cool with it. Yeah, but how much do you think the agent has to do with that, though? I mean, wouldn't – I mean, if you're an agent, you're telling your head coach – and I'm just putting myself in their shoes, you know, you can get a bigger buyout here or here. Right. Well, yeah, if if the here or here exists. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, if you're if you're the, the coach, you got to be thinking, all right, so I'm getting this job offer because of how good of a season I just had at Cincinnati. And, man, what am I what, what is my team bringing back next year? What, what am I losing? What, what, what am I gaining? Can, can I duplicate this? Is my is my star ever going to be, you know, going to be shooting as high as it is right now or you know, what if I go back to Cincinnati and, and, and I, I lose two more games next year than I did this year? I, I may never get a big-time offer again. So I, I think we just don't know because, like, none of these schools seem to push back on this very much. They just kind of give the agents mostly whatever they want. I, I get it. If you're Colorado State, it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they got paid off by Florida pretty good, right? And they, yeah. they were able to build their indoor. 
uh, in part. Because yeah, and they agree. Part of that was agreeing to um, home and home, or or a home game for Florida against Colorado State. Yeah, it's it's a big paycheck game. They're going to get probably what like a million and a half, million seven mm-hmm. or something from that. Yeah. Um, you know, so that to me is is really really smart. Or if you had a coach who's legitimately a threat to jump to the NFL, all right, like Pete Carroll when he was at USC, or I know Kirk Ferentz got mentioned for it all all the time, but other than that, like, why is Brett Bielema, you know, why is his buyout 15 million? Like, do do we think that Kevin Sullivan NFL talk was that serious that he needs a buyout of that? I I don't know. It just seems over the top. Oh, the other scenario where I think it's smart for a school to have a big one is if you are in a really bad situation and you have to do it to attract somebody to kind of guarantee them, hey, you're going to get this number of years. And the example I'm thinking of is Baylor, right? Like yeah. to get Matt Rule, they say, hey, this situation is a disaster. We just had a you know, horrendous and, and disgusting scandal. Uh, we're going to give you seven years fully guaranteed. Like we are all in on you as the guy to kind of bring us back um, you know, on the field. And if we all of a sudden decide to make a change, we're going to fully pay you out. I, I get that. But like most schools are not in that situation where they have to, to go to those desperate measures. Uh, yeah, to, and to Arkansas certainly measures. wasn't when they hired Bielma. Yeah, I mean, they, they'd come off what? Petrino and, you know, I don't know. It just seemed – who's stealing Brett Bielema away? Like I think his thing, again, <laughs> his act kind of plays well in certain spots and probably not – like could you see Brett Bielema, Florida coach? Oh God, no! <laughs> right, exactly. Or USC coach? No, it's just it wouldn't work. Um, so I thought that was nuts, and uh, I don't know. I I don't think they're going to fire Ed Orgeron, but I, I do got to think, man. If you're LSU's AD, twelve and a half million for this guy to fire? Why? It just seems over the top. Oh. Uh, what we got anything else? I'm trying to think. I know we got betting lines to get to. Um, one other thing I have is which kind of relates to Orgeron. It actually directly relates. Um, like really bad year one losses by um, like prominent head coaches. So I have, so I have like Saban. It's not out yet. I think it should be out either tomorrow, or Thursday, or Friday. Um, but like I have Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Mike Gundy lost to Baylor after, um, you know, Oklahoma State had three straight winning seasons. I, I obviously like 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 I, I know you mentioned the the Saban uh, losing to, you know, Monroe. Mm. Uh, I was actually that was my first year of law school at Bama, and they <laughs> really. Uh, yeah, people were calling it the school bus game because Luzanne Monroe allegedly came up in, in the yellow school buses, uh, which I, I don't know if that was actually true or not. But, um, yeah, they have lost some stinkers. Here's a question for you. Do you think that Ed Orgeron should be looked at as a first-year coach? Yeah, I mean, I feel like he should just because – at USC and LSU, and I think we've talked about this before, he wasn't fully the guy. He was kind of in this, like, tryout-type stage. 
Whereas, you know, he, he's never been in a situation where he was fully the head coach. I think that's fair. Um, and, you know, we talk about Bill Connolly has a good term, year zero, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like a total rebuild and just there should be no expectations for that first year. Right. I feel like if you hire the interim, you kind of do expect to hit the ground running because that guy was already on staff and presumably, and I know uh, Jimbo's talked about this, um, he it was a real benefit to him be on staff because he understood exactly what some of the existing problems were right. and how he could combat them, as opposed to a new coach has to learn what the problems are first, which could take a while. So I, I, I do see the argument as well for not really treating Ed Orgeron as a totally new coach. But I think that it's a little bit unrealistic to expect him to come in and dominate from the word go. Um, yeah, and I, I think just their – how they've started the season is just, if anything, just kind of head scratching because, um, you know, you were expected LSU and Ed Orgeron to just have some continuity um, and, and familiarity, but it like, it looks like Ed Orgeron just came in from the outside on paper. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what plays out there. I, I, I want to see what their home home attendance is like for the rest of the year. Their, their home schedule is, uh, is not, necessarily all that great for the rest of the year they, they go they go to florida um you know that that to that troy game and syracuse game the crowds were really bad they do host auburn the weekend after, after florida when I mean, they're at old miss they're at alabama uh, they host arkansas and they host you know a&m but this is it'll be interesting to see what what their uh what their crowds look like for the rest of the year and i normally i think a coach should be guaranteed to get four years this year, or in this situation, maybe you guarantee him three years uh, before you make, make a real change. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think, think that that's fair. Two years is is really kind of a small small sample set, unless they just totally go in the tank and, and don't improve at all. Gambling? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, so every week we pick out some of the interesting lines uh, of the week. This week's the games are not that good. Um, are there any rank v rank games this year? Or this week? Um, I think is NC State ranked? No, they're not. Because uh, they they lost on that crazy game to South Carolina. Oh, that's right. Um, I don't think. I don't think so. Oh, West wow. Virginia TCU. Oh, okay. There we go. There we go. We got a. I think that's where game day is going, isn't it? Yes. Okay. I mean, that should be should be interesting. Um, Wow, uh, TCU is favored by thirteen and a half. I didn't realize that game was it was in uh, uh, was in Fort Worth. I thought it was in, in Morgantown this year. Um, all right, so we have Louisville minus three and a half at NC State. That's a Thursday nighter. Um, tough place to go on Thursday night as an FSU guy. I know <laughs> from experience yeah. on that a lot. Uh, Stanford is laying five and a half on the road at Utah. Uh, I know you're uh, you were uh, away this weekend, so. If, if you or, or our listeners didn't see, Stanford finally seems to have figured out what to do at quarterback, and his name is K.J. Costello. He was a class of 2016, I think a class of 2016 kid, very talented, um, and he looked really good, as did Bryce Love. LSU at Florida, Florida's laying three. Uh, Kansas State at Texas, Texas is given three and a half to Kansas State. Miami is laying three on the road in Doak, and West Virginia at TCU and the Horn Frogs are given 13 and a half. Which of those kind of strikes you more? 
That TCU number looks kind of high because I feel like West Virginia is one of those teams that can go into Fort Worth and just have a shootout. Um, LSU at <laughs> Florida three points looks high to me just because it's LSU Florida. And I still don't trust Florida after what is it? Week, week heading into week five. Yeah. Um, other than that, I, I feel like these are fair. It's, Weird to see Miami favored um, at FSU. I feel like that's the first time in a while that that's happened. Um, but, yeah, other than that TCU number, I feel like the rest of these are pretty fair. I, I think I agree with you. I, I think this is the first time Miami's been favored in dope, I believe, since 04, which was wow. one of those Chris, Rick, or Chris Ricks completes every pass to Sean Taylor uh, games and uh, – you know, Sean Taylor returns over touchdowns, uh, and Chris Ricks was not very good. Um, I, I got to tell you, I think I think you're right on West Virginia TCU. I, I like TCU, but I don't know that I'm comfortable laying two touchdowns with them over West Virginia. Uh, I have no idea to do it with, what to do with LSU Florida, in large part because, I, A, I don't know if Tyree Cleveland's going to play, uh, and if he doesn't. Yeah, I, I don't know who, they, who Felipe Franks is going to throw to. Yeah, that's a, that's a potentially an issue, and I also don't know if these LSU guys saying we'll be back this week, the, the the defensive lineman that they didn't have against Troy. I don't know if they're actually going to be back or how healthy they'll be or or how effective. So that that makes that yeah. game tough. This has the that game like talking about it more makes it look like it could be ugly. Oh yeah, exactly. Especially if you get weather, uh, that could be one of the one of the more unwatchable games of the week, uh, and then. I got to tell you, I'm a little bit surprised that Louisville's laying three and a half at NC State. I, I, I got to watch NC State in person uh, in Tallahassee two weekends ago, and um, they're really physical. And like I, I know some guys on that staff, and they told me over the summer, look, I, this defensive line is as good as any in the league, and, and I don't think they're right about that. I think Clemson is better, but other than that, I mean, that's probably a top ten defensive line nationally. And we saw what Louisville. Uh, couldn't do against Clemson's defensive front three weekends ago. Right. And especially, I mean, Lamar Jackson broke off towards the end for some plays and was able to make some throws, but they can't, I mean, I don't, I don't remember Louisville running the ball successfully against Clemson. It was all pretty much Lamar Jackson making plays. Exactly. The the small number of plays that he did make. Now NC State's secondary concerns me a little bit. Like it's not Mm -hmm. as good as Clemson's and Bobby Petrino is certainly a master at getting guys wide open. Uh, but I, I'm going to take NC State there, getting three and a half at home. I, I think that's, especially on a Thursday night, that's a – I don't know if you've ever actually been up there, but that is a really loud place. Like, I've, I've been to Virginia Tech on a Thursday night and NC State on a Thursday night for big-time games, both of them, and I thought NC State was, like, clearly louder. And I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll go with that as well. I think that, like, the Thursday night game could potentially be the best game of the weekend. In terms of just watchability throughout, you got a lot of high level talent. You got a the Heisman contender quarterback who people are kind of forgetting about. I, that could be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited to see that. Uh, all right. I think this probably wraps it up for um, for this week. 